I've heard it said that a smart person learns from his mistakes or her mistakes. Smart person learns from their own mistakes, but a genius learns from the mistakes of others. Prevents you from making the same mistakes? Why create the wheel there, my friends? over and over again. And we have that opportunity right here this morning as we study the Word of God. We're we're tracing Israel's steps. They have now been redeemed from the land of Egypt. They are now free. But the problem with freedom is some people don't have the wherewithal to live within that freedom. They need more and more control because they don't know how to live free. And my friends, the way we live free is by trusting in God. You know, a study has been done that uh, um, children with, uh, with fences uh, around uh, uh, the playgrounds where there are uh, highways or fast-moving cars in the area you know, tend to be frightened. There, there, is, there is these big harsh walls. Something bad must be over there. But my friends, when you move it out, they move it out. Freedom, freedom. Knowing where you are, who you are, and what you are here to do makes a big difference. <laughs> my friends, let's take a moment here to study. And I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures. Turn with me to Exodus 15. Exodus 15. 15 and 22. Freedom. Know who you are, who you are trusting. And it takes away fear. There is no reserve when you are trusting in God. When you know that God, when he speaks and when he leads, to follow him is the best place. It is the safest place. It is the greatest place. So here we are in Exodus 15 and 22, and uh, we're going to learn some lessons here today. Well, no, let me say this again. We're going to have some lessons presented before us here today that Israel needed to learn. Some really important stuff. And really, the wise person here this morning says, I want to learn these lessons so I don't have to go through them myself. And you will notice uh, as we uh, take a look here, starting in verse 22, the first lesson we're going to see here is to expect trials to come. Expect trials to come. You know, James said, you know, if that did these diverse trials, you know, he doesn't say if. You know, if that were to happen, you know, it's when. When these things start rolling into your life, how are you going to live? And the best way to prepare yourself is to expect it. Now, the, the big question here is, what is this testing all about, these trials? Well, my friends, the purpose of trials, which is oh so very important to understand, is this. That when God tests his people... It's not because he does not know their hearts. It is because they don't know their own hearts. The purpose of a test is not for God to see something about you. He knows everything about you. The purpose of of a trial is for you to get to know yourself a little better. To see what you can do, what you can't do, where you're failing, where you're fearing. 
It is a great opportunity to get to know yourself. Now, that's uh, not the only thing that happens in trials, but uh, friends, some of the first questions, you know, are, well, what is God doing around? What is God doing? And what does God want to achieve in my life? Well, what God wants to do is put a giant mirror in front of you and say, this is the you that I'm dealing with. So how do you respond to God in difficulties? You know, well, we're going to see a great opportunity to look at how Exodus uh, or the people of Israel in Exodus do it. You know, here in verse 15 uh, or chapter 15, 22, we notice this, then Moses made Israel. Now, that's an interesting term that we ought not to, this was not a random event. God leading Moses to lead this nation made Israel set out from the Red Sea. Now, that gives us a reminder that they have just gone through this incredible victory. I mean, some really great stuff. It started by being backed in by the sea, and then there's Pharaoh going, what have I done letting these people go? Let's rally the armies, get those chariots out there. And there is the people of God who have for nine months witnessed the power of God everywhere. And there they are wondering, did you bring us out here because there's not enough graves in Egypt? And they're full of fear. And God tells Moses, the staff that's in your hand, raise it up. And the Red Sea is parted. This wind comes and pushes it to walls of water. And they cross through on dry ground. And it's not just that they see this incredible act, but the very same means of deliverance walking through the Red Sea on dry ground becomes the very same thing that destroys the last vestiges of Pharaoh's power. There is army is drowned in this Red Sea. It's funny because people, you know, they, they attack such, oh, this didn't happen. It must have been really shallow water that they walked through on a really, really windy day, you know. And, of course, the answer to that is, well, it, it must have been a really great miracle to drown a whole army in a little bit of water, you know. It's, it's classic stuff. But there they've seen the power of God redeem them, protect them, deliver them over and over and over and over again. Now, one might think that having had this experience with God would translate into great faith in God. Because, you know, learning from your experience is a wise thing, right? I mean, surely they've learned by now that God is going to take them to the promised land. And there may be a lot of scary things around them, but all they need to do is trust God. And so you see the purpose of the trial and the timing of this trial to come is right after a great victory. And this, this, uh, this, this seems like, well, that's a terrible time because you're, you know, you're really full of uh, faith and confidence and, and actually what you are is mostly just exhausted. After a great day of victory is, is, is the very, you know, you, you've got the, the great uh, prophet Elijah, Elijah, who's just had this great victory over the, the priests of Baal, you know, the big sacrifice, the dancing around, and they're caught in themselves, and Elijah's like, maybe he's in the bathroom, and he can't hear you, do it a little louder, you know? And there's this great victory. And then the king hears it like, we're going to kill that guy. 
And it's not a day later, this guy is sitting in a field saying, God, I just wish I was dead. You know, because great victories can be very exhausting, emotionally devastating, you know. I'm no better than my father's. Just take my life. And so it is a vulnerable place. And vulnerable places are a great place to stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in God. And so this timing, right after this great victory. Now notice here the second lesson. We should first of all expect trials to come, but secondly, we ought to be trusting God to provide. God has promised to, he says, consider the lilies of the field. You know, I mean, look, at what, what, you know, is somebody out gardening these things now? God provides for them. How about the sparrow, you know? I mean, take a look around you. God has given you evidence everywhere. He didn't just make it. He provides for it and preserves it. And friends, if, if God cares about a sparrow, how much more you? God cares. God provides. Now, here we go. Here's the trial. They went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. Well, that's no small thing. Remember, we got about two and a half million people here. You know, and a day without water, that's pretty rough. Day two, well, that becomes all you think about. Day three, they've had enough. So they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And then verse 23, they find water. And when they came to Marah, well, they couldn't drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. The word Mara means bitter, you know, especially highlights itself in the book of Ruth, you know. Um, but you know what? They're met with grumbling. This is how they respond. Instead of trusting God, they grumble against God. Again, it seems that every time this nation comes to a point where, hey, this is hard, Instead of trusting God, they begin to grumble. Another way to translate this is murmur. You know, a murmur is the sound that a crowd of people makes as it moves through. There's no dis distinction in what they're saying, just this grumbling sound moving throughout this nation, grumbling against God. And friends, that's just too easy. You know, let's take a, just an informal poll. Anybody here ever grumble against God? You know, all of you with your hands down are liars. <laughs> and it's not a funny issue. It's, it's an issue of faith. It's an issue of what you truly believe. Does God care about me? And if he does, will he act and do something for me, not necessarily to get me out, but to get me through? Or to accomplish his perfect will in the midst of all of this? It all depends on what you believe, because what we truly believe will determine how we behave. And still, even at this point, Friends, they've been redeemed out of the nation of Israel. They saw nine months of all these plagues and great acts of power and preservation of this nation. They just walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. I mean, surely they must have been, wow, that God is really powerful. 
Or maybe they just said, you know, that army's gaining on us. And they missed it all along. What do you believe about God, my friends? Is he able? I mean, is God good? Because what you believed will determine how you behave. And they grumbled. And the people, verse 24, they grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? I mean, the same God that just parted the Red Sea. Imagine that. The God who just moved the waters, they believe somehow can't provide. The very same God's going to turn some water into wine. You know, the very same God who did. God has no problem providing water. You know, water will be a significant thing in the nation of Israel. You know, uh, we get to Deuteronomy, we're going to learn that uh, when the people of God disobey him, choose not to trust in him and chase after other gods, God's going to withhold the water. But for now, they don't believe. And look at here, surprise, surprise, verse 25 you know, they're saying this to Moses, and you know what Moses did? I want you to notice this pattern this morning. These people are grumbling, but what is Moses doing? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, which is not very tasty in a glass, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. God said that the solution is simple. Trust me, and I'll provide for you. Trust me, it's, it's just an issue of faith. Moses is like, I'm not going to grumble. I'm just going to ask God what we should do. It was that PhD Christianity. Now it's the basics. You trust in God. God, what would you have me to do in this circumstance? Now, it doesn't mean, you know, we, we like to think that God will get us out of it, you know, and certainly sometimes it feels like that's exactly what happened. But God's starting small here. Let's, let's take a few lessons here. You are without water. What's the right response? Well, you can grumble or you can cry out to God. Remember how they got out of Egypt? They cried out to God and God heard them and God raised up Moses and God brought them out. Well, not only did the Lord provide, he made a promise. Like here it is, some foundational stuff for this nation and for us. All right, here we go. Simple test. You're really, really thirsty. By the way, do you remember the last time you were thirsty? I'm a little thirsty right now. But you know what? I could wait. I could wait hours to get a drink. But you remember when you were a kid running around on the playground, and then you had to stand in line? Did anyone else have that experience, you know? And just you're counting how long the guy's going. You know, come on, that girl, she's moving her hair back and getting everything right. Just come on and take a drink, you know? And it seemed the longer you wait, the thirstier you got. And you never got enough. And there it was in front of them. All they needed to do was trust God. Cry out to him and see what God would do. I mean, they have this relationship with God and they still don't get it. And so here the Lord lays it out. The Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them and now they know something about themselves that they really just don't trust God. Saying, verse 26, if, you're, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. 
In the same way he just laid out this sermon illustration, you know, throw the log in, the bitter water is now sweet. I can do the same thing with you, by the way. All it takes is a little faith. The grumbler into the praiser. And then, you know, after this little lesson, you know, the, the scripture says that the Lord gave him a little interlude, a little time to think about it. And uh, notice uh, verse 27, they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they camped there by the water. I like to refer to this place as Palm Springs. It's not clever. It just helps me remember it. <laughs> we'll give you a moment to recover from that joke. <laughs> Poor Bill. <laughs> you know, and just a little bit of time to let it soak in, so to speak. A little pun humor there. And all of you missed it. Oh, that's too bad. All right? So they're letting that lesson soak in a little bit. And, uh, and surely now they'll do better. You know, here they were, they grumbled. They surely are embarrassed about their actions. Oh, we never should have responded to God that way. I mean, what were we thinking? Well, you know, after learning a lesson, that's a good thing to have a little test, right? And here it is. Verse 27, challenge number two. They've got some lessons to learn. The first lesson was this. Here there is no water. But the question is, will Israel trust God? And we know that they do not because they grumble. But now they come across this challenge, no food. And the question here is a little different than about the water. The question is this, will Israel obey the Lord? Will they do what God tells them to do? Chapter 16, verse 1. Then they set out from Elim, otherwise known as Palm Springs, and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now, Sin is known as missing the mark. It's a really a Greek term here, but, uh, but this is about a location, not an activity place, okay? Um, it is, we're going to about, uh, we're going to see them head toward the Sinai Peninsula here in a little bit, all right? Um, so it's between Elim and Sinai, so thus the word sin, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And so here they are, look at here, in the 15th day of the second, about two and a half months out of Egypt, and they've got some lessons to learn, and certainly the Lord has made his power so clear, but they don't have anything to eat. Verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And they're really not grumbling against Moses. They're grumbling against God. They just happen to be the earthly manifestation of how God is at work at that particular point. You know, we often take out our unsatisfied nature of, of God and we take it out on other people. We take out our, our anger for somebody else on somebody, whoever gets in the way, the waitress, the waiter, the guy behind the counter scanning the food. You know, we take out our dissatisfaction with what God is doing in our life out on someone else. And so they are met with grumbling. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, 
Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots. Oh, it was so good in Egypt. I mean, there was such the balmy temper. There was the Nile. And, and nobody seemed to have mentioned the brick making or the taskmasters. Only the fact that there happened to be meat there. And notice the accusation. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I mean, this is some dramatic stuff here, really, you know? I mean, I wondered after a while, you know, would Moses just sit back and say, will you listen to yourself? Woe unto me, for I have not eaten since lunchtime. And I think I, I might have heard a gurgle in my stomach. I'll be okay, though. Just eat a Twinkie or something. <laughs> Don't eat Twinkies, people. That's just gross. All right. <laughs> and so they're met with grumbling. And, and look at how God responds in always the graceful manner. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold. Behold is like, step back. You're not going to believe this one. He says, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. Look out of nowhere? Yeah. That kind of bread. And notice the instruction here. Bread enough for a day for six days. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. Whether they will walk in my law or not. Some really simple instructions. So God's going to do this miracle every day. They're going to walk out. And there's going to be this bread from heaven everywhere. And every day they go out and get enough for the day. Right? Enough for the day. You know? But on the sixth day, verse 5, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So on the sixth day, Two days worth of collection here, okay? So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, meat and bread, nice. Because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And look at here in verse 9, God reveals his glory to them. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And remember, God was leading them by day in a cloud, by night in a pillar of fire. And there, God manifesting his presence I am here with you. I have not left you. I will not forsake you. Whatever trouble you seem to be in, you are not in it alone. And God provides quail. 
This is uh, first to give proof of the second. God said he was going to give bread from heaven. Well, how will God do this? We don't understand this. I don't think we should expect it. And so God gives evidence of this by giving a demonstration first. And the first demonstration is quail. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. So say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. There it is, over and over again, that you shall know. It's like you still don't know me. You know, you know my name, you know nothing about me. It's just true about a lot of religious people. They know the stuff, but they don't have the experience experience to really understand. You know, we, we can talk about what we've heard, But what have you actually lived in regard to a relationship with God? What do you really know experientially about him? And so God provides manna. Hmm. Well, look at here in verse 13, though. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. Like out of nowhere. What a coincidence. I mean, the people are hungry and suddenly there's quail everywhere. Well, of course, it was no coincidence. God was providing for his people because that's what God does. And honestly, friends, if God didn't, where would we be? We would be of all men most miserable. And here God has provided the quail and just as he promised now, he provides the bread, verse 14. And when the dew had gone up, There was on the faces of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? (laughs) Well, God had told them what it is. It was bread from heaven. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. God had just told them what it was. It's like they're just not paying attention. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And oh, to be shocked, verse 17, the people of Israel did so. They did what God told them to do. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. That's what God said. Eat what is, what is necessary for the day. And it seemed like they had a good start, my friends. But here in verse 20, we see the bad news. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and stank. There's some motivation not to keep it overnight. Ah, And Moses was angry with them. And morning by morning, they gathered it as each has, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot... It melted it. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the elders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you will, bake and boil what you will boil. All that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink. Hmm. And there were no worms in it. That's what makes it good for the next day, right? And Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. And yet, verse 27, we read, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather it, but they found none. The Lord had made it abundantly clear what they should do. I mean, they had just been grumbling for food and now God had provided it. But they couldn't obey him. They would not obey him. They would not listen to what God was saying to them. And they found none. And the Lord rebukes Israel here in verse 28. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. How simple is that? On the sixth day, go get twice as much. Prepare enough for the day and for the next day. And when you wake up tomorrow, you don't have to go hunt for it. In other words, you can just rest. A seventh day set apart for the Lord. Wow. So, remain each of you in his place. Let no go out of his place for the seventh day. Verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. And now the house of Israel called its name manna. Manna, it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Manna, manna is the uh, Hebrew word for what is it? So it's a great name for it. They said, what is it? Then the name stuck. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer be of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generation. Well, why are we going to keep this manna? Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel, notice this, friends. The people of Israel, well, ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And remember, an omer is a tenth part of an ephah. As some of you are wondering. <clears throat> but God provided for them. Every day, twice as much on the sixth, rest on the seventh. It became the pattern of this nation. An expectation, as it were, that coming is a day of rest. The book of Hebrews talks about that and talks about uh, the day of rest is not going to be on this planet. The day of rest ultimately is fulfilled in the presence of God. 
So practice what you've learned. Here's a couple of lessons. We're thirsty. Will you trust God? The answer is no. We're hungry. Will you obey God? No. Practice what you learn. And here's this great opportunity to really take a look. Now, we've done this one before. Let's try it all over again. No water again. No water again. Here, look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandments of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. They've been there before, but now they know, right? All you have to do is cry out to the Lord and the Lord will provide. It was just a test. We know this one. Let's see how they did. Verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And the real question here is this. How could they do this all over again? I mean, they, they did it with the water. It was right in front of them. They just didn't know they could have it. All they needed to do was cry out to God to trust him, to know that he was the answer to this obstacle. But they did not. Is this frustrating to you, I wonder? To to watch somebody continue to repeat over and over again the, the same mistake, having never learned well, perhaps we should take a moment for us to consider our own lives. What mistake have you been making over and over again? You just thought, oh, I'll lower my head and I'll keep trying. I'll hold back. I'll... And the last thing that ever would come to your mind is, maybe I should just trust God. Maybe I should ask God what I should do in this circumstance. You know, God often, uh, throughout the history of the Older Testament here, God is always telling people to do stuff that they never would have come up with on their own. Hey, we can't drink the water. We'll throw the log in it. March around the city. You know, just, just march around, but don't, don't shh. On the last day, we're all going to shout, blow trumpets, and the walls are going to fall down. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. You see, the issue is not their own strength. The issue is not their own wisdom. The issue is this, will you trust God or will you not? That's the question, my friends. It's not the question for Israel. The question is for you. What about you? And so they quarrel. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock? I mean, they must have been writing songs about this, you know? Here comes the old familiar chorus. Why did you bring us out here to die? Why are we gonna die instead of in Egypt? I mean, come on. It's the same old thing. Did somebody say, why do we keep doing this? When God keeps providing for us. But here is the great example right there in the midst. Moses cries out to the Lord. The same great example. So Moses cried out to the Lord. What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. 
Hey, here's a circumstance I don't know how to deal with. Maybe I could ask God. It's brilliant. It's genius. It's an issue of faith. And by the way, friends, it honors God. It honors God. It pleases God. And the Lord provides. Of course he does. Again, if he doesn't, we're all in great trouble. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And they memorialized this place, you know, so they don't forget. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Testing the Lord. Hmm. Yeah, it really revealed the hearts of these people. And so the issue is faith and it seems like they are just unwilling to obey and to trust which really highlights the grace of God, does it not? Now, as we're going to continue to study through here, we're going to know that there's going to be some points where God's just going to say, you know what, Moses, get out of the way. I want to start over again. Which just gives us uh, flashbacks to the book of Genesis. Every thought and every intent of the heart was only evil continually. But God is a God of grace, a God of patience. He's chosen this nation. And it wasn't because of their hearts, my friend. It was because of his grace. And he's taught to trust. And here is the final test here and the fourth. Trust God to defeat your enemies. Trust God to defeat your enemies. And here the enemy is the Amalekites, verse 8. Then the Amalekites came, or Amalek came and fought against Israel, Rephidim. Well, they're in a pretty sensitive spot here. And out comes the Amalekites, and they're going to fight against Israel. Notice the strategy here. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. And fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And notice this, verse 11. When, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Something with the staff of God, an act of faith. Holding up the staff of God to the Lord. It, it is like a child. Help me. Lift me up. It is an act of faith, my friends. And God honored that faith. And according to verse 13, gave them to victory. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. And then uh, they, they put together a testimony, you know, so they wouldn't forget these memorials set up as reminders over and over and over again that you can trust God. So verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. 
saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So three trials, and they didn't get it. But God provided water, God provided food, God provided water, God provided victory. God is a God of provision. God is a God who cares for his people. God cares for you. That's the application here, friends. But the question that is left hanging in the air is, do you trust him? 